Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one -on -one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. Casey Cadwallader is a man with a mission. As the artistic director of Mugler, he's building the brand for a new generation of women and showing the world how sexy, sensual, and strong clothing can also be very inclusive. Already he has generated quite a buzz around his runway casting, which has included models of all shapes, sizes, ages, and colors. Having singer Cardi B sit front and center at his first show helped set the tone for the new era of this house a house that has struggled, until now, to find a designer with a clear enough vision to take on the potent DNA of the brand and reinterpret it in a modern way for women living in a body-positive, female empowerment post-MeToo age. Born in New Hampshire in the United States, Casey studied architecture at Cornell University before landing an internship at Marc Jacobs, an internship that sent him on a whole different career path. From there, he progressed to becoming Narciso Rodriguez's right-hand man, was a head of women's wear at Lueve, and most recently was designing at Acne Studio before taking on the top spot at Mugler. Since he arrived at the house in 2017, Casey has presented collection after collection of bodycon ensembles cut with a scalpel-tailored suiting and second-skin dresses that hug the body in all the right ways. Casey has said that he looks to haute couture and strippers to guide his design aesthetic. I met up with Casey right before the latest fall-winter 2020 shows were about to take place in Paris. He spoke about a wide range of topics in his office at the headquarters, which is just steps away from the famed Opéra Garnier. We spoke about everything from the origins of his name and the fashion do's and don'ts that his expansive career has taught him over the years, to perhaps most importantly how he now intends to refocus the Mugler house into a brand where creativity and bold ideas lead the way. After our discussion, what I came away with from our time together is that Casey is one of those rare, self-aware designers who has a head for business, an innovative heart, and a soul that sings with creativity. Thank you so much for doing this, Casey. I really appreciate it. Um, I don't know if you know this, but my daughter's name is Casey as well. I so. did not know this. Yeah. How does she spell it? So it's K-A-C-E-Y. Oh, wow. Yeah, super Lots of fancy. Changes. Yeah, trying to be very original, so... <laughs> But that's clearly why I'm already fascinated about you and wanted to interview you, because the name alone. My parents also um, took a big risk calling me that. I was supposed to be named Jason. Ah! And my grandmother threw a fit and said that my name needed to be, needed to be more original. Hmm. And so they came up with Casey. How did they pick Casey in the end, then? I don't really know the story to that. I think it might have been... I think it was still my parents' suggestion, but my grandmother approved it. She was not into Jason. But it's funny, because I kind of think I look like a Jason. Get away with the Jason. I yeah, it's weird. Mm -hmm. But I think that's just because I've met other like dark-haired people named Jason. But um. <laughs> but then you just have to own the Casey in a in a way that there is also an, a little bit of an alliteration thing going on in my family. My sister's name is Kari. Mm. My mother's real name is Lorraine, but she's been called Cookie since she was three. Oh, the so it's Cookie Cadwallader, Kari Cadwallader, mm. and Casey Cadwallader. Mm. Well, and for me, it was the same thing. My eldest is Cecilia, but I didn't want to have C's all the way through, so I, we, we switched it to K to make her have similar. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we're on your family. Well, you've got your, the grandmother's stamp of approval, so that's all that really matters, right? That's true. <laughs> 
All right, I want to go dig right into this and talk specifically right off the bat about your Spring Summer 20 show because I just adored that. I know it feels like ages ago because you're already moved on from that, but... It doesn't, it doesn't. Um, First, thank you. Yeah, it does kind of seem like it was a while back, but yeah, I still feel it pretty closely, so I guess it wasn't that long ago. But what I loved about it was that it was, there was this idea of inclusivity, both not just in women of different sizes, but also different ages, different heights. I mean, there was a real, and then also the way you had them walk out, there were groups and the the pattern. It was very, very different. It was that, tell me a little bit about the thought process behind that. For me, it's, it's something I've been working on since I've been here. And it just comes from a very simple belief that I want this place to be something special for everyone. I have always sort of struggled with the fact that fashion doesn't really make itself very easy for many people. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was something now that I could kind of be in charge that it's something I could sort of pursue. Maybe it comes from my sister who is only five feet tall and has like large breasts mm-hmm. and she always puts on clothes that I've totally I can't fit in it, I can't fit in it. And I think there are I mean I think then you lose a lot of clients and you make people I, I also just really don't like that people feel like they can't be a part of fashion and I really wanted to celebrate I mean I think inclusivity is part of the Moveware brand from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I want wanted to address how I could push that forward more and um, be thoughtful about it. So for me, I mean, I tried to put, I mean, always definitely different ages and different colors and different backgrounds and different stories. But then also, I think having a really open dial about gender is really important. And it's just, it's just really my world. It's, Uh um, I wanted to make sure that I was at least representing the people that I love around me from all different facets. And you talked about your sister. Are there other people that you kind of have in your mind's eye that that are around you that you love that you kind of want to have represented in your clothing? I mean, I just, I find so many different people inspiring and I don't want to not, I, I think you also, as a creative director, you come up, you have these moments where someone comes out of the woodwork that you really respect and they say, oh, I'd really love to be dressed in Mugler. And you you want to have a way to say yes and to make them feel amazing and to know that you have a range of products that can actually address everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, like I want to dress writers and politicians and all of these other people too. They don't have to just be, you know, an 18-year-old size two to get into the clothes. So yeah, I think that's very important. And then second to that comes this very very intense challenge which is that you have to do them service as they come down the runway Mm -hmm. you can't embarrass them you can't be insensitive you can't make someone wear something that they don't want to wear so you have to do a very good job Mm -hmm. I think for me the best compliment that I got from the last show was someone just said to me it was so diverse and it was all in there and you actually didn't really notice Mm -hmm. because it just looked like everyone was just as confident as the next and that everyone was just as fierce as the next and they were exuding this sort of positive charge because they felt good and I think that's the thing that meant the most to me because I I don't like it also when diversity means size 2, size 2, size 2, size 2, size 8, size 2, size 2, size 2 Yeah. and you're like, oh yeah, threw one in there I I, I think for me everything is about a degradé age is a degradé I love that idea, degradé, yeah, that's very clever. Yeah, it's just like, because, I don't know. And I think even different people can be at different points of their spectrum at different moments. Mm -hmm. I think, like, 
I think something we talk about a lot now, which is also a big topic of the show, was being sexy because... Yeah, absolutely. Because there was all those different sizes and, and all those different ages, yeah. but everyone looked sexy. I mean, do you yeah. think that that's the kind of follow-through thread that you're really pulling? Maybe that it, for you in this, this company? I think everyone has to be given the possibility to explore whatever kind of uh, moment they want to have. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what clothes can do and what makes clothes so fun. And I think for me, I generally address sexy more as sensual, intellectual before and I just came to a point this season and developing last season where I wanted to go there a Mm -hmm. bit more and to be a little bit more first degree but my way Mm -hmm. and I think because I don't usually do first degree it became an experiment right away I mean if I had I, I definitely didn't think four months before the show happened that I was going to put someone out without pants on mm-hmm. but then it became like so normal to me by the time the show started it's interesting how <laughs> things can become normal in this industry that you would never expect but it sounds like that you had such a good feedback that you're you're continuing on in the, in the upcoming collection this idea yeah this people is... are gonna have pants on because fall uh, okay uh, <laughs> I mean sometimes I mean but it's definitely not going to be a bunch of people without pants on but I think there's also something about this house that people want to really feel it. Like they want to be hit across the face with something that Mm -hmm. is very gag worthy and dramatic and forceful and fierce. And I think I'm just growing into that more. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I was an independent designer with my own label, if I would be going that hard. But Mm -hmm. I think that Mugler makes me want to go there. Yeah, And I think the more I learn about the archive and the more I soak it up, the more I realize that there's also like, there can be a sense of humor in being sexy mm-hmm. and there can be sophistication in being sexy. And then there can also just be, I mean, I, don't know, I, I kind of like stripper sexy too. We are basically looking always at couture and strippers here oh, when we design. Couture and stripper, okay, yeah. juxtaposition, okay. I think that I trust myself now to know that the chic part is going to come out because hmm. I, that's my like happy zone, and I think that that comes more easy. And then now, sexy was the sexy in a certain way was always comfortable for me, like body forming and sculpted and all of that. But it was always like a, a little bit more covered or yeah. austere. And um, now really? I'm yeah mixing it together in a different way. Well, talking about mixing it together, and you mentioned the archive. I know when we first spoke after your first show, you had said that it was the tailoring that really drew you in, and how that architectural side, which is of mm-hmm. course the training that you had in in college. Now is that still is the architectural stuff still calling to you, or what? Like what are the pieces that you're pulling out these days that are really speaking to you, or maybe they're the same? I mean, I'm pretty unfocused with what I pull from the archive in a way because I like to take well now that I've been here for a while so I've done I don't know it's like the eighth time I've done a big pull from the archive Mm -hmm. and I like to kind of surprise myself so we kind of I think we get 40 or 50 things at a time and we do it once at the beginning of the season and try not to go too deep into it Mm -hmm. and I think especially now that there's also the exhibition of Mr. Mugler's work going around the world we just made like an entire company trip to Rotterdam to see the show oh so you went and saw it okay what was that like it was fun. I mean, it, any, any eye-opening experiences, or was the whole thing an eye-opening experience? <laughs> if there's anything about that show, is that the entire thing is very eye-opening mm-hmm. and very, very. I mean, it's just epic after epic after epic. So mm-hmm. for me, it's uh, it's a slap in the face, you know, because I, I got whiplash almost. Yeah, I go in and I'm like, oh Jesus, you know, it's like it's so it's so strong and it's so impressive and it's really you know look after look after look that just is a punch in the gut punch in the gut punch yeah. in the gut and it's i mean in a good way <laughs> like but for me too it's you know there's a force to the archive that 
you know, is a little challenging sometimes because it is so strong yeah. and because he was a genius guy. So I have these moments where if I get in a room with too much of it, I kind of go, ooh. Yeah. Know, like, no, oh, I get you that. Know, like, whoa, what do I do? I remember those shows. They were intense, yeah. For sure. And I think, to see, I mean, this is an even this is even more difficult. Yeah. It's the best from every show all in one space. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, it's, uh, it leaves an impression. So what were your big takeaways then from that? Other than it's other than you needed to like put your head, you know, you know, breathe into a bag at the end of it. But. Well, I, I went to the show in Montreal, so I've been once before, but this mm-hmm. was my first time to go with my entire team and see it through their eyes and huh. to have conversations alongside of them, and that was really what was special about this time. If I look back at my pictures when I go, I'm always taking a picture of something up close hmm. because it's for me, it's about how the seam is on the glove or how the shoulder seam is of the jacket or how this color changes to that color in this location. Or it's really trying to look at it with a mag, like, you know, more of a zoom situation mm-hmm. instead of the, the pulling back and seeing the whole look, because this is where I, I don't, I don't want to copy him. Yeah. I don't, course. I don't want to just rechannel him. I think he would be disappointed. I think I would be disappointed. And I think, the world would be disappointed because he already did it. Yeah. So for me, it's, I also want to embody it and move it forward as much as possible. So these sort of detailed studies of what it actually was and why and how, and also like, how do, how would I do that instead mm-hmm. of how he did that? How mm-hmm. would I do that? And I think that's also where there can be something where I am carrying the torch, but I never carry the torch directly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. Well, what about, so I know that you've you've had notes of, or messages that have been passed between the two of you. Have you actually met him at this point? I have. Oh, this is news. It is new. What was that for you? It is new news. It was a very, very nice conversation. He's also very impressive in person. Mm-hmm. He's very larger than life and has an amazing spark in his eye, and he was very kind, and mm. it ended in a hug, so I then was... That's a, that's a good so, yeah. ending. So yeah, I was I was really excited to meet him and to be able to say what I wanted to say to him, which mm. is you know all these nice things that I think about when I've been working here for two years. So. Well, yeah, I mean you've done a deep dive into his, into his archives and seeing what he's he's done, but then also I mean I remember this experience when I saw and Kim Kardashian walking onto the Met and wearing a dress designed by him and. Of course, Cardi B has recently worn some vintage pieces of Moogler, so it gets the Moogler name out, especially at a point in the time when the house is hasn't got a huge budget to go out there and have, you know, your ads everywhere in the world, et cetera, et cetera, sure. you know, all that kind of coverage. That's great, and yet it's not your Moogler. How do you, that's got to be bittersweet to a certain extent. How do, how do you feel about it? I mean, it's completely bittersweet, and it takes... It takes a very level, mature head to sort of deal with it properly. (laughs) And I'm not saying that I have that all the time, (laughs) but I try to. In the end, my Mugler is a startup. Okay. You know, it's, uh, we're not a big business. We're trying to become a big business. We're trying to put lights and honor back onto this name in Ready to Wear and have it be meaningful and resonate with him and what he laid down. So when I'm in the middle of doing that and kind of like a startup and then I see things that were not made in a startup. Yeah, <laughs> far from it, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's tough because, I mean, if I tried to make the Venus dress right now, people would tell me no. Of course. Because it would probably cost as much as 20 of my looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, to develop. Yeah, so that's tricky. But at the same time, it's a different thing. He was doing couture. I'm not. Mm-hmm. 
And, and yet your pieces like the Juliette Benoche that I saw, I think it was the other night. I mean, again, this is a woman and I think in her late 50s, I want to say. Beautiful woman. And, and you made her look divine. I mean, she's she's not a size zero, but you use the codes of the house, but clearly in your own way. I mean, I yeah. think that's a perfect indication yeah. of... I mean, that's the good thing about celebrity dressing is that is my moment that I get to do couture. And mm-hmm. so those moments for me are very important. But yeah, I think, you know, I'm trying to do ready-to-wear that people can afford in stores that still carries the weights and iconic impact of the house and I think that that is itself a very challenging and practical thing to apply myself to. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean what I've learned in my almost two years here is just people don't buy this collection like a big collection where they want filler like they don't need a simple anything from us mm-hmm. they want drama they want a connection to and something yeah yeah they want to be they want to fall in love they want to see something that's very very different and severe and extreme and makes their heart race you mm-hmm. know they don't want the basics from us yeah so that's I also find as a gift. I mean, in the beginning, I was trying to like have it all and have the foundation pieces, and then yeah, eventually, that never works. and yeah. then eventually, oh, it's weird though because then sometimes it would. Hmm. Like I would do a pair of like you know very sexy, very fitted pants and do them to the best of my skill. And then they would sell a lot. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the day, when I walk up to the rack in a store across the world, I want to walk up to something that is like, I'd rather have there just be eight things and have them be very wow than to have something that felt more Another great down. pair of cut pants. Yeah, yeah. 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 At the end of the day, like, okay, we can make a cool pair of cut pants, but let's make them at least a bit wild. Let's do something with them. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm curious, talking about uh, this company as a startup, what have you taken from your experience at other brands? I know you, know, you worked at Loewe, you worked at Acne, you worked at uh, Marc Jacobs for a while, mm-hmm. but way back in the day. None of those are startups per se, but I've always found it really interesting to talk to designers who actually took the time to make their mistakes, quote unquote, at other mm-hmm. brands and then for and sure. then to bring that in and then you're starting to a certain extent your own brand now. What did you learn during those times at other houses that you've kind of implemented here? I think each one of them has taught me things that were extremely strong positives and each one of them has taught me how to not do things Mm -hmm. and I think that that's also an important part of experience. Mark Jacobs is the place that made me change my career path Mm. so I think it um, Mark Jacobs is where I learned what passion looks like in a team. I was just floored by like their head of development and who ran the atelier and how dedicated all the people were who were developing the collection. Everyone was running around, everyone was on the floor, everyone was, you know, freaking out before the show. And they did it with a great sense of joy. And I think for me, that intensity and that positivity was very infectious for me. So that was very important. Then Narciso for me was where I learned surgery. I just remember, you know, and I also didn't go to fashion school. So this was a very important part of my progression. I remember my f- seeing the first toile at Narciso, and it had it was this bodice dress that had I don't know probably 52 seams going around the bodice, and everything was down to the millimeter. It was still sewn in calico and like cotton, mm. but it was scary perfect. And then you know out comes his pen, and he draws all over it, and you know changes the proportions everywhere subtly. And I think for me that was a big part of my learning curve there. And also with uh, bags and accessories with him, it was the same. It was all very hands-on. In New York, that's not so common for Mm -hmm. it to be... So exacting. Exactly. And I think that was a a big moment that made me more capable of being a fashion designer in Europe. Mm -hmm. 
I think there can be like a New York cycle where you get sort of stuck in New York. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And then I also went nurses. So, I mean, he gave me this responsibility to, he told me when I was 25 and I had been there for three weeks, he just recognized that I was intelligent and he just said, look, I'm making you my number two. You're After gonna, three weeks. He was like, you're going to know everything that I know and you're going to, you're going to really be involved in all these different things with me. Wow. And And did that that shake you to your core, considering that you had had no training or you were like, oh, Oh, hell yeah, let's go. I was super into it. (laughs) (laughs) I love how nonchalant you are about that. I was so cool. (laughs) I mean, I was I was honored and but I was only thrilled about it. And I think that's the thing. I mean, Narcissa was a small company, very exacting and very precise. And I was really able to kind of be in all parts of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it really made me very rounded. And I think that's what was helpful because I wasn't just a designer. I was also involved in digital and talking to the CEO and talking to the sales team and mm-hmm. in, in appointments for stores and doing the production fitting. So I was like in and out of everything. And mm-hmm. I knew all aspects of how a company works mm-hmm. from him. Then, acne, I mean, after being at Narcisso, I worked at uh, his company for two different periods. Mm-hmm. So I, I, in between, I went to Loewe. Mm-hmm. Loewe was my, like... Was Stuart. Oh, yeah. In the beginning, I started right before Stuart, and then when Stuart came, he promoted me from being the head of pre-collection to the head of everything. Mm-hmm. And that was my first time showing in Paris and working in foreign languages and also really focusing in leather and fur. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot going on there and it was amazing. It was very, I mean, thinking about it now, I was very young and it was very scary. But at the same time, I really got moving there. I, I was so I, young. I, I know, you say you're young, but it just sounds like you were very mûr, as they say in French, very mature already for such people to give you so much, you know, yeah. power or control at such a young age. I mean, they definitely saw something in you. For yeah. Sure. When I was young, I used to get pretty good. I, I always was given a lot of responsibility at a age that was like younger than one Most. would want to yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> but clearly it worked for you because you yeah. so you did two stints at uh at Narciso you had the time at uh, Lueve and then Acne Acne was the last before you jumped ship mm-hmm. and came here correct? yeah and I mean for me after being at Narciso twice when Acne approached they were looking for someone who was more precise mm-hmm. and it was funny that Acne would be recruiting someone from Narciso because it's a kind of like a funny match yeah but for me it was also, I mean, Narcissa was so chic and so refined and so lasting. And then, and also the clientele is typically a little bit of an older woman, let's mm-hmm. say. And then to switch to acne all of a sudden was just for me like a, going to a carnival. No, ah. I was just, I was thrilled because really? I got to play with anything I wanted. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really very carte blanche there. And also the the kind of woman you were addressing, you could change from season mm-hmm. to season. It, it didn't. There were parts that had to be sort of consistent and parts that weren't. Mm-hmm. So we had like carryover products and then we had like very experimental things. Mm-hmm. And I was just head of pre-collection. I wasn't even doing runway. And we, ha- But we had like the show part of pre mm-hmm. that was sure. very wacky. So that was just very liberating. And then I think that's what's fun about now being at Mugler is that the playfulness of acne gets to stay and the rigor and the precision and maybe the chic maturity of mm-hmm. Narciso sort of come together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they dovetail nicely here. Yeah, yeah. It kind of, I mean, I think 
sometimes when people see my background, they're like, whoa, you can really change hats. And I was like, isn't that the point? I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, if I had my own brand, then I wouldn't have to pivot. But yeah. when you fall into a house, you pivot. Yeah, always pivot. So, yeah, and I think I think with Mugler, you can feel the pivot still happening because it's such a strong thing to land in. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hadn't swam in these waters for, you know, I had thought about his jackets and, you know, but I never was like, oh, I'm going to do a Mugler jacket. And then yeah. once you start to do it, you realize, yeah, you could innovating how you do that for a very long time. Okay, so that uh, gives me, brings me to two questions. One is, Acne right now has been doing a lot of collaborations with other brands as mm-hmm. it's a small startup. Is that something that you guys are thinking about? That Would that be another way? To, or do you think you want to stay clear of any kind of a collaboration idea to um, kind of get focus on your own image and vision? Depends. I think it has to be for something that... I can't get or do with the same sort of precision without the other partner. Okay. It's not like, woo, let's have some fun and co-brand. It's yeah. more... What, find, do, what do they bring to the table? Yeah, and, and yeah. also, like, also, what do we bring to the table? Mm. So I think there are a couple things that are interesting to me right now that really give me something that I need where I wouldn't be able to put a certain product out that I really believe in knowing that it's the best it can be unless I have this other person involved. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a possibility. Okay. Um, but it wouldn't be like something that is similar to what we can do. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to no, be. it has to be somebody yeah. who brings other, other talents yeah. to the table. And then the other thing you talked about is like innovation. And I'm curious to know, because I just remember that first show, the amazing textiles and how you were talking about that after the show that you seem to be very fascinated by new tech and technology mm. and, and being eco-friendly and sustainable as well. So what kind of fabrics or fabric treatments or you know, finishings are you really you know, getting your engines, creative engines, revving? I mean, for me, it's a, that's my, my favorite part. And I oh, think, really? Okay. I, I mean, I, I love looking at fabric. I'm one of the few people that you'll actually see at PV the whole time and I go to Milano Unica myself and sit, okay. I sit through every appointment and go through everything because I don't think anyone picks fabric like another person does mm-hmm. so I want to pick it I want to see like my eye I don't sit back and go I'm thinking I want something that's wool but glossy sometimes you just need to see it and yeah. you go oh shit that's what I wanted and so by going and looking at what is it you probably look at 50,000 fabrics a season by doing that, you really understand the range of what's possible. You catch up on any sort of new technology that can be happening. And then I also go to this thing called ESPO, which is like a sports um, technology and sportwear conference in Munich every year, huh. which is like, not, I mean, most, I think some brands go, but I don't think many go. And that's a whole different set of uh, fabric providers. Very, okay. very global, very sport, very recycled, very, very different. So, yeah, there's that part, and then there's the part where I start to, I'm going to say chase the dragon, because I don't think there's another way to say it. I get very fixated on something, and Mm. then I just run after it, and I think if you ask anyone else in this office, it can get really intense, because I'm like, no, then you have to hand paint it, and then you print it, and then you send it to the embroiderers, and everyone's like, Jesus, no, please, no. <laughs> then I'm, I'm infamous for it. You're going down the rabbit hole on one of yeah, the fabrics. Yeah. Mm. But you got to know, you got to go as far as you can go before you back it up. 
Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I do. Sometimes it comes in and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, didn't quite need that third procedure. <laughs> but, <laughs> All right, let's take a step back. Yeah, but sometimes okay. that's where you find the experiment. I mean, where the experiment yields something that was a surprise, and then the surprise is actual innovation. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know, that part's so fun. And so then that's, so when you're talking about your design process, because I see you've got this mood board behind you, is that then the fabrics lead the way? It's not like that you're draping or sketching. It's more that it, you find an amazing fabric, you go down the rabbit hole or chase the dragon, and then... I mean, a lot of the fabrics that we use are totally normal. Yeah. And, okay. then, and then the rabbit hole one is like the one cuckoo thing yeah. that I'm chasing. Um, but yeah, you have to also have fabrics that you use every season that mm -hmm. are the best for making a jacket mm -hmm. or, you know, all the reasonable things too. But even that, it, there's so many degrees to like, what wool are you going to make the jacket out of this season? I mean, the amount of time that goes into that choice is a lot. Interesting. Yeah. It's a painful process um, <laughs> because it's so, there can be so similar and you're like, no, but I want crepe. And then I want a diagonal, and then that puts me in this, and then, oh my god, the only thing that I want, it's overpriced for what we can sell at, and mm. yeah, it's a tricky one. And wool just gets more expensive every year, it never gets cheaper, mm -hmm. so, I mean, a wool that I was using when in, like, 2002 is now, like, that was maybe 18 or 20 euros is now 48 And so, basically, this is a really interesting thing, and now I'm getting old enough to have seen the arc. You can't make a jacket out of the wool that I know to be the best anymore and not sell for more than... I mean, it would be like Perluti to do it. Yeah. You know, and, uh, or Hermes or whatever. And it's, it's very frustrating for me because I learned that that's the wool that is the best. Mm -hmm. Now and you now, know you <clears throat> cannot know that. Yeah, and you, yeah, you can't unknow things, mm -hmm. unfortunately. And so yeah, it's like a it's a it's a weird thing now because we have to use all these mixed fibers and we have to you know we're always looking for new things that make it so that at the end of the day the product can be purchased by people. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, I, trust me, I love things that are way too expensive to be purchased, but in the end, that's not very fun for anybody. Speaking of that, what's it? Have you seen somebody wearing your clothes on the street? Like not a celebrity or somebody who's gifted it or whatever, but but somebody actually walking down the street wearing your designs? Yeah, it's starting to happen now. It took a, I mean, that's the thing that also makes me understand, I mean, how small the company is. It's like you don't see it on the street that much. Mm. And now when I do, imagine the difference from when I was working at Acne. Oh, of course. I could like sometimes see like four people on the street yeah, wearing ding, something. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> and the, yeah, that was very satisfying. I'll get there. Yeah, I've... I've had someone walk by at a concert wearing one of my jackets, mm -hmm. and I was very surprised. It's more often like I'll go to an event that like people who have been dressed by borrowing clothes are wearing the clothes, mm -hmm. and even still, like I won't know about it, and that'll be a nice surprise. Mm. But now I'm also starting to see people on Instagram who are wearing things that bought them on their own, or I'm hearing about who the clients are. Mm -hmm. uh, re repeat, like, you know, people who buy repeatedly. Mm -hmm. For the first time, and it's I'm starting to feel it grow, and I think that's a very exciting moment. Well, talk about feeling it grow. What's your next? What is the next strategy? I mean, if you had your druthers and could do anything, like what would you want to focus on next? Like uh, to expand out, to reach more people, see more people wearing it on the street. If I could have anything, anything. Or what's my reasonable next step? <laughs> okay, do both. Do both. Do both. Well. I mean, we're doing something very interesting at the moment, which is that we are not doing pre-collections anymore. We're just doing one season. Oh, well, that brings me to another question. Okay, explain which that is, to me, because this is where I'm talking, <clears throat> this is where I come into this whole thing, like, I don't feel like there's seasons anymore, I don't feel like there are trends anymore, I feel like it's all about particular mm. drops or collaborations, yeah. but I'm wondering what you're seeing as a okay. designer. 
I mean, for me, it just comes down to the fact that when you have a certain amount of means and you divide them by four. <laughs> and you, Ouch. And no, and you just know every, I'm very pushy and very demanding. And I think they didn't really know what was coming. And I think I tend to, I don't know, I think that my clothes cost more to develop than usual. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to give that up. So we have decided that R&D is priority and making amazing things is priority. And collection over pre-collection is priority because people buy us for things that are wow instead of things that are normal. Mm -hmm. And so what we're doing now is we are showing to stores our runway show on the pre-collection calendar, putting it in the freezer, and then warming it up okay. for the runway show and staying on calendar with the show. Okay. So it's uh, it's not like we're the first people to do it. A couple other brands do it. Mm -hmm. But for us, it's a huge change, and everyone is running up and down the hallway with their hair on fire at the <laughs> moment because we basically have a fashion show in three weeks. Okay. Ooh. And um, if, this is the thing. This is So right this last year, we did do four seasons, so this is the last of the four. Okay. Next year, we do two. So okay. next year we get to kind of chill. Mm -hmm. Go the way of Juice Van Noten. Well, just, just go. I mean, the thing, then we're going to do capsules. Yeah. But the capsules are going to be, it's in a weird way, like the capsule becomes a pre-collection, but it's not at all following those rules. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the thing. I came into the company with a lot of plans and I just got caught into like, 60 pieces when I walked through the door because there was just so much that had to be done and everyone else kind of did too because mm -hmm. so imagine the new guy shows up and I'm like okay I want to change this and this and this and this and this and this and everyone just kind of went like oh my god like this is going to be so such heavy lifting yeah. for a small company and so for two years or a year and a half before we made the decision everyone's really working so hard and too hard yeah and I think now, instead of chasing our tail and making four seasons a year, we're going to make these two, and then we're all going to have time to think and do the things that we always wanted to do mm -hmm. as far as, I don't know, research, as far as, you know, we've never designed any architecture, or we have never designed... Yeah, there's a lot of things that we really want to be doing. Mm -hmm. When you say designing architecture, that means like a store? Yeah, or even like... I mean, we haven't had much time to work on the showroom because yeah. everyone is just racing to get these four collections out and then produce those four collections and deliver them on time. And I think it's just not necessary. Like, and I think the two we can say it in the two seasons, we can invest more time into the pieces. Mm -hmm. We can all not get white hair as quickly. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then also, you know, for example doing art collaborations. I would be doing them all the time. Well, I know you're an art fanatic. I yeah, mean... but it's just, I got, I came in, and I came in with all of my thunder, and I immediately did the thing with Samara Scott, yeah. and that's exactly what I want to do. And then when season two came, I was flat on my face. Mm -hmm. And it became more about survival and more about... Treading like, water. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just we, what we say here is we all just got stuck in mud. Yeah, so you want to get back to that first collection. When you I, yeah, in. I want to. Yeah. I still have my like my list of all of my initiatives, and I look back at them, oh. and I want what the guy who came in the door day one wants still. I want that too because that first yeah. collection was pretty badass. I gotta say, yeah, the I last mean, one I saw too was really good. But I mean, I remember yeah. being wowed in that way, where the yeah. collaboration really gave it an, another another yeah. dimension. For and sure. I think, and I think now that everyone is, 
I mean, the whole team has grown so much. I've grown so much since I've been here. So now to be able to go back to that is going to... It would, oh, that's it would be, smart. Yeah. So that's really what it is. It's more like I want to do these things and it's been too much and we've spent all the money develop I mean the, the most of the money that you spend is developing clothes. Yeah. So if you develop less, then you can do other things. Mm-hmm. And it's time to do other things because this brand isn't just about clothes, it's also about culture. Mm-hmm. And we haven't really been doing as much as I would like to in regards to that. I mean I'm super proud of what we've done and we have done a lot of things with culture through Who We Catch and all of these things, but I, I want more. So okay, yeah, fabulous. Well, listen, I've kept you for such a long time, and honestly, I could talk to you for here. for hours. So let me ask you the five generic fashion questions, and then okay. you're free. Okay. Okay. So the first one is, what is your most precious, your favorite piece of clothing that you own? Uh, blah, 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 blah. Oh, this is not easy. No uh, forewarning. <laughs> I have a Alaya black viscose horizontal banded skirt that has lacing up the sides that I like. I'm obsessed with. Like if the house was burning down, I'd run out the door with that. I love that it's not actually a piece that you wear. It's something else completely. Mm, that's, very tally- that's very telling. That's very... I did. I did. Now I'm blushing. Okay. Well, off of that, um, what piece, when we're talking about investing in, I mean, hard-earned cash, not everybody has a lot of, you know, extra money. What would be that one piece you think a woman or a man should invest, really spend money on? That one, one item. For me? For yeah, if, what what would you what would you Oops, recommend? <laughs> what would you recommend that they really invest in? If there was one item, I think everyone needs to have a perfect tailored jacket because I mean, okay, fast fashion is obviously important to the world. It's not very important to me. I think that people should have ten things in their closet and okay. that they should wear them well. And I think people who hoard crappy clothes all need to think about what they're doing. So for me, it starts with. I don't know. I'm pretty elemental. A really good black jacket and a really good pair of jeans, I think, is a good place to begin. Mm-hmm. But that make you feel, you know, like you're going to take on the world. Yeah, rock star. Yeah, okay. Because that's what it should be. Who is your favorite fashion designer, living or dead? Oh, my God. I think, um, I mean, probably Cristobal Balenciaga. There are m- many of your colleagues who come sit. Well, I'm an either. ex-architect. Yeah. Well, so, like, that's I mean, so nature of the beast. That's yeah. kind of where I end up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's the master. Um, and then what uh, one fashion trend will you never follow? Ooh, never say never because that's usually where the good stuff comes from. And now I can't answer that because I think I, re- I usually, I have things that I cycle through. And if you ask people who are my sort of fabric developer people, one season I'll be like, don't show me that. I'm not doing that. Don't show me that. And then the next season I'll say it again. And then the third season I'll be like, I'm into Mm. Blah blah blah. Biker shorts. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and they're like, "You said last season," and I said, "Fashion changes." Mm-hmm. So yeah, I wouldn't. I can't think of something right now. Okay. But I'm I'm sure I think there are things that are taboo. Like even like I didn't really particularly like clothes in the '80s, and I'm actually sacrilege. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I've been here drinking the Kool Aid for a while, <laughs> but uh, yeah. But I kind of want to. Try. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I like it like that. Like I, I hate it, and then I want to give it a try. Good for you. Don't get don't pigeonhole yourself. Last question: What do you love most about fashion? Making people happy. Pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> Straight to the point. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, it's very simple. I think clothes are here to make you feel good and make you feel your best and make you feel omnipotent, and that's it. Perfect. Casey, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been a pleasure. It was a pleasure for me too. Thank you.
Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.